The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. If I could sing, I would sing, happy birthday to us, happy birthday to us, happy birthday Main Street Vegan radio show and podcast, happy birthday and many more, because this is our third birthday. And next week's show will start our fourth year of wonderful programs, um, providing you with guests that just amaze me week after week. These people are so committed, so bright, and so full of fascinating information and wonderful tips for how all of us can be vegan, move in the vegan word direction, Oh, heck, be plant-based if you'd rather have that description of it. And we plan to to do that and continue covering every aspect of this fascinating, life-changing, and life-saving lifestyle. So to celebrate our special day today, we have a couple of wonderful women. After the first break, I'll be bringing on someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time, and it finally worked out on this birthday day, and that is Ingrid Newkirk, the founder and director of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And right now, in our first segment, I want to introduce you to someone who's at least her first book. I'm sure you know, you may know both of her books. And this is Amy Lee Goodman. She is the co-author with Shoshana Castle of Rethink Food. 100 plus doctors can't be wrong. That one got so much press. I know you know about it. And this new book, which is just fascinating and has this wonderful, sassy kind of skinny bitch writing style called The Meaty Truth. Why Our Food is Destroying Our Health and Environment, and Who is Responsible? Amy Lee Goodman is a monthly wellness contributor to Vegan Lifestyle Magazine. She's co-founder of the plant-based food company Zibble Inc. She graduated with honors from Wellesley College with a degree in political science and lives right here on the Great Big Apple. Welcome, Amy Lee Goodman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to celebrate this special day with you. Thank you. Well, we're pretty excited, too. I remember when the station called way back in 
2012 and said it's time we get back to our roots because the founders of Unity, who, who are the sponsors of all this, were very dedicated vegetarians back in the 1800s and early 1900s. And now all that good information has gone around and come around, and we have this amazing vegan movement in the world today. And you are so much a part of this contemporary young movement for plant-based foods. And you focus primarily on health. And yet you're young. Why are you interested in health? Why don't you wait 30 years for that? (laughs) Well, it all really started with my younger sister. She was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when she was really young. And I watched as she became a skeleton of her former vivacious self. And my mom is an investigator and she doesn't take anything lying down. And I loved that about her. And she looked into what was actually happening. My sister was on every type of medication possible. And a number of years later, my mom read the China study by Dr. T. Colin Campbell, which said that autoimmune conditions can be triggered by animal products. And since my sister was on injections and chemotherapy medication, my mom thought that we have nothing else to lose. So she took my sister off all animal products. And within three months, she was completely cured. Her arthritis had reversed, and it's been that way ever since. And she is back to the old, amazing, beautiful self that she's always been. And this was eye-opening to me. And at the same time, I started to really research the environmental effects um, from food production, and everything came full circle. The connection between what we put into our bodies, how it affects our environment, and then actually how it affects our health. And what is scary is that I have friends today who are even having cancer scares, and we're only in our late 20s. So this is actually really important, and I really want my generation to start investing in ourselves just as much as we invest in our careers. That is brilliant. That That is world-changing um, information and a world-changing attitude. Now, uh, you can find out more about this great work at RethinkFoodBook.com. want to make sure I let you know that before I get so involved in a conversation that I forget. So tell us a little bit about each book, Rethink Food and then the sequel, The Meaty Truth. So Rethink Food is a combination of over a hundred doctors, all plant-based from around the world that speak to how our chronic diseases today, all the leading diseases we hear about all the time, such as heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, are all actually related to what we're eating. And all of these doctors are finding the same things in their clinics and their patients. The minute that they take their patients off of animal products, which are pro-inflammatory, and produce this low-grade inflammation, which leads to this chronic inflammation, they're starting to see amazing results. They're actually cutting back on their medications. We have patients that have canceled heart surgeries, that have reversed their type 2 diabetes, and this is really showing that around the world, this is not really related to our genetics, but it's actually more diet related. So a lot of us like to blame our genes. And here's a really great resource style book that is saying you can take control of your life and take control of your health by making simple dietary changes. So that's our first book, and it includes really well-known doctors such as Neil Barnard, T. Colin Campbell, um, Dr. Eshelstein and Dr. Furman. Now, the next book, The Meaty Truth, is really looking at this connection between our food, health, and environment. So it's looking at factory farming and how the 27 billion animals produced per year in the United States is completely decimating our one Earth and our one planet, and it's also absolutely destroying our health. So it's looking at how the 
the horrifying treatment of these animals, Americans eat one million animals per hour, and how this overconsumption of animal products is producing these widespread effects. But we also want people to take charge. So we have action items that you can do every day to cut down on your consumption and actually contribute to a healthier you and a healthier planet. Mm. And you don't shy away from controversy. You have, a, I'm sorry, a section in the meaty truth that you call don't blame the sugar, which seems to be that when we get away from your hundred plus doctors who are talking plant-based there are a lot of doctors who are saying, oh, don't worry about that. It's all about sugar. And you take that on. What do you tell them? So in our book, we're telling them that we love to blame certain products. So when it comes to type 2 diabetes, we love to blame sugar. It's a very easy scapegoat. But what we're actually not looking at is meat and fat. So what our doctors explain is that the insulin receptors, when you're overweight and you overconsume animal products, you actually block the insulin receptors, which built, which has a buildup in your body of insulin and can lead to type 2 diabetes. So we're saying that you actually can't just consider one dietary product. You have to look at the full spectrum. And the industry doesn't want you to know about that or consider that. They love consumer ignorance, and they've built an entire industry on telling Americans that they need animal protein and they need calcium from dairy. And when you look at the science, it just doesn't hold up. So true. And you communicate this so well, particularly to people in your age group. So tell me the kind of response that you're getting from people in their 20s. Is it different from people who are older? Are they making the same kinds of excuses or do you hear something else? So I think the young people, it's something really eye-opening to them. They haven't, we're not yet experiencing the same types of health problems. And for a lot of people, until you personally experience something, you're not going to understand it or really take action. But at the same time, most people know someone who is diagnosed with cancer. One in eight women today have cancer. One in two people have heart disease. And if a baby born in America today has a one in three chance of developing type two diabetes. So it's becoming much more prevalent. And we've seen amazing response to people when they actually understand that you don't have to spend a lot of money to eat better. There's a common misconception that eating vegan or plant-based, whichever term you prefer, is cost prohibitive. But what we found through studies is that it only costs $1.50 more per day to eat healthier. And this is less than a latte or a coffee that you're going to grab in the morning on the way to work. So really understanding that you're not getting the best bang for your buck when it comes to eating meat and dairy has been one of the easiest ways to get through to young as well as older, the older generation. Now, the economic arguments are always pretty powerful. So really quickly, just in our last minute or so, you have a food company. So tell us about Zibble Inc. Zibble Inc. is a plant-based food company that we actually produce. Um, right now we produce frosting, so it's not a health food. But we want to show people that you can eat really great food and really delicious food and not have to give up all of these, you know, birthday celebrations or anything that you want to think about um, when it comes to being vegan. We're trying to show that it's not limiting, it's actually expanding your horizons. So this is our first way of kind of getting people to listen through their stomach, you know, really getting a way into their heart. And it's been amazing to see the response. Once people try the frosting, there's you can sit there and talk to them. They're so much more willing to listen about how meat and dairy products are actually not great for their health and how we can actually save money and save the planet by eating delicious products that are healthier for them and healthier for the planet. Oh, that makes so much sense. I think it's really important, especially for people with kids, that the, the differentness 
be as small as possible and be focused on what really matters. So if you can make your child a wonderful birthday cake and put some zibble frosting on it, all to the good. Right. Um, You know, one thing we love to tell parents is just giving them simple facts. Like most parents don't know that one glass of milk per day could increase an adolescent girl's chance of developing breast cancer by 10%. And these simple facts really hit home. And knowing that um, they can actually reduce their health care costs, uh, we can save about $2.7 trillion overall by just adding half a cup of fruits and vegetables per day. And that's just looking at cardiovascular health. And once you talk to people about very simple changes like half a cup or not drinking eight glasses of milk, it actually opens their eyes to a whole new world of possibilities. It's a wonderful new world. And you and your co-author, Shoshana Castle, are so much a part of it. The books are Rethink Food and The Meaty Truth. And you can find more about the wonderful work of these two women, their books, products, etc. at RethinkFoodBook.com. Thank you so much, Amy Lee. I looking forward. I look forward to crossing paths with you here on our little tiny island. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so. It was such an honor to speak with you. Oh, that goes both ways. Enjoy your day, and everybody else, stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages with Ingrid Newkirk. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. It's Kitchen Table Karma. Make kind food choices. Watch more good come into your own experience. Feed your body with bright, fresh, colorful foods from nature and develop the glow of radiant health. Learn how to easily reap these benefits in your life with Victoria Moran's latest book, The Good Karma Diet. Eat gently, feel amazing, age in slow motion. Including stories from real people whose dietary change graced their lives in remarkable ways. Plus, 40 delectable superfood recipes from culinary alchemist Doris Finn. Available wherever books are sold, as a print edition, an ebook, or a deluxe Kindle or Nook book with 30 minutes of audio-visual extras. The Good Karma Diet. Share the love and love your life. Do you ever find yourself stuck? Slow down and breathe. Bring to mind a person who you admire. Ask yourself, what actions would they take? Would they make a list of possibilities? How about making a list of the things that they're grateful for? Here's another. Reaching out and asking the person you admire for guidance. Finding yourself stuck is similar to being in a dark room with messengers of fear invading your goodness. Pick yourself up. Cut a hole in that wall and let the light in today. Get more inspiration. Listen to Clarity 101 with Glenda Gibbs on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Central Time. Take the first step. You're worth it. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everyone, and it is my distinct pleasure to be introducing someone who needs no introduction, Ingrid Newkirk. She's an English-born, British-American animal rights activist. 
co-founder and president of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, the world's largest animal rights organization, founded in March of 1980 and burst onto the scene with great prominence within a year. And we'll get some of that historical information as, as we speak with Ingrid. Ingrid, welcome to the show. Thank you, Victoria, and congratulations on four years. Oh, I thank you so much. It's gone really quickly because we have so many wonderful folks to talk with. So, Ingrid, tell us first just a little bit about you. You're a remarkable person. So tell us about your (laughs) childhood and animals and India and what formed you as the person you are. Oh, I don't know that I'm that remarkable, but I had a lot of um, interesting things happen to me when I was growing up. Uh, We were in England first, and then when I was about seven and a half, we moved to India. And back then, and that's going back over 50 years now, almost 60 years, I'm 66, uh, it was a different world in India and you saw uh, carts, beasts of burden all over the streets, starving dogs. I mean, you still do if you go to India, but they're trying to clean it up and sanitize these things and push them out of view. But it was an eye-opening experience. I remember um, my mother, who always was taking in refugees, strays, both human and not human, uh, would always say it doesn't matter who suffers, but that they suffer. Mm-hmm. And so our house was always full of even mongooses, uh, stray dogs with wounds, you name it. And she um, was a wonderful role model for me because everywhere we went, we saw pony carts with very skinny animals. I remember pulling a, a dog whose mouth was packed with mud. Some people had seen him coming along in the heat in the drainage ditch and had very cruelly captured him um, filled his mouth and throat with mud and then tied his jaws shut. We rescued him, and he he was having fits in my arms. And everywhere we went, we rescued animals. And so I'm very glad of that experience because it truly opened my eyes to the fact that there's a world of suffering out there and a lot you can do about it. I found on my experiences in India it was such a shock because I expected to go to, to not the Garden of Eden, but I expected a place where there was more respect for animals because I'd always been told most Indians are vegetarian and the cows are sacred. And when I got off the plane and got into the first city, it was almost like if somebody said, oh, let's go visit this family. They just won Parents of the Year, and you walk in and see them beating their children. It would just be like, no, no, not here. So You're so right. You're absolutely right. I mean, all the world over, people are people. And so there's no special um, thing about India People have this misconception that when you go there, everybody will be vegetarian and animals will be respected and the cows are sacred. But the fact is that that's like saying you go to a Christian country and nobody lies or cheats or has an affair with their neighbor's wife. It's just not like that. And in India, very sadly, so many people moving into the cities. And we have managed in Mumbai just in the last two weeks after years of effort to ban these skinny horse-drawn carriages called Victorias that go out in all weather, thunderstorms, monsoon rains, um, absolutely burning heat carrying people around. We managed to just in the last two years ban uh, bullocks, these wonderful, gentle deer animals. They're nothing like American cattle. They grow up with the family. So they're very adjusted to human beings who are beaten through the city pulling oil drums in the traffic. And when they fall down, no one has any money for veterinary care. That's not any fault of the people. They're poor. And they just leave them lie. And, of course, for religious reasons, they won't euthanize. And so a bull could be lying by the side of the road for four, five, six, seven, eight days before he succumbs. So he just two years ago, managed to have those bullet carts replaced with little mini tractors. And that's what we're doing on the farms, too. But you do see 
and I know exactly what you mean. You will drive from the airport past the largest slum in Asia and when you land in Mumbai, and you will see babies in the gutter, and you will see crows, dogs, cows, children, all grubbing for something to eat, and people will actually throw acid on the dogs and the cows to keep them away from any food that they might have in their home or on a stall. So it's a real eye-opener. It's no paradise for animals or the poor. No, it, it's really not. And it, it's such a, a picture of how cruelty and lack, it, it's across the board. It's not a human thing and a non-human thing. When there's cruelty, when there's lack, it covers um, everybody. Yes. And so, you know, Victoria, one thing, and I'm sure you saw this too, that people are people. People can have so much money and walk past a beggar with no limbs or a child with one dirty piece of rag wrapped around her. They can walk past, and yet you will see such kindness from individuals who have basically nothing themselves. And one of my favorite uh, memories is of being on a bridge in a taxi somewhere. I think it was Gujarat. I can't remember now. And I, we were stuck in a traffic jam. I looked over, and there was a woman living on the street, as most, so many people do. Thousands and thousands of, of Indians still live on a piece of dirt patch or a piece of mat somewhere on the street. And this woman had her baby. She was on a little piece of rug on the bridge. And I saw her stand up. She had a long skirt on, and she reached down, and she took something out of the hem of the skirt that was wrapped in paper. And I thought, I wonder what you're doing. And she looked down the bridge, and then I saw it was a mother dog coming over the bridge. And the woman, poor as dirt, took this little scrap of paper, put it on the bridge, put the rice ball that was inside it, spread it out, and stood guard while that mother dog ate. And I thought, we throw away more food here in the United States in a day than she and that mother dog will have in a week or more. Mm. What a story. And as I listen, Ingrid, and I think as our listeners are, are hearing you, I'm so struck by the plight of one person and one dog, because you're at the helm of the world's largest animal rights organization. And we hear these numbers. We hear about billions in the food industry alone. All these numbers of all these animals who are abused and tortured, and yet one act of kindness or one act of cruelty speaks to people, doesn't it? It does. And the thing is that people feel sometimes, as you know, totally overwhelmed when you say, oh, we eat a million chickens an hour, which is true. Or there are 24 billion animals, not even counting fish, who feel as much as anybody else, who are killed every year for food in this country alone. And people think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But of course, this act of kindness and that act of kindness never... Um, letting cruelty pass you by without saying something, doing something, looking at your own life and seeing how can I stop supporting cruelty to that animal or this animal. And that's, that's what makes this movement so vital. Uh, you, you cannot get just smothered by statistics. You have to think every single one of those billions or those millions or those dozens is an animal as precious as any we've ever known in our homes, anybody we've ever loved, a dog, a cat, a horse, a bird. They're all wonderful, feeling, full of joy and love. They don't want to die badly. They grieve. The whole whole works, nine yards. Mm. So... How did PETA come into being? Everybody knows about it, but I don't know how much people know of it. Well, it was pretty simple. Um, I grew up caring about animals, really abhorring cruelty to animals. My whole family thought that there was something wrong with anybody who was cruel to an animal. But in those days, 
and there's no excuse now, I think, but in those days, our thoughts were so compartmentalized that cruelty to animals to us meant kicking a dog or starving a horse. And so we'd never countenance that, but we ate our way basically through the animal kingdom. I had my first fur coat when I was 19. We wore leather. We bought things that were tested on animals. And growing up in India, even though we loved animals, it was the culture at the time. We didn't think a bit about it. We had an elephant foot umbrella stand in the hall. We had ivory ornaments. And one of my favorite cats, uh, hats was made of a wild cat from Kashmir. So when I look back and I think, oh, that was me, and I had to learn so much, I know everybody can learn so much. And so I thought when I first discovered how animals became food, how they became those packages in the Safeway, it was an incident on a farm in Maryland with a little pig who was almost dead, who had been left abandoned, was starving, dehydrated, and I felt so sorry for this little boy and held him in my arms and got him water. And that night, I suddenly realized I've never been to a slaughterhouse, but it must involve as much suffering, if not more, than the suffering of this little piglet I feel so sorry for who was abandoned and left to starve. And things like that kept happening to me, and I thought, if I can start to think a bit and change my habits, the things that hurt animals, then maybe I can form a group. And maybe that group can do the homework for people, show them what goes on in the lab or the farm, and then show them, not don't just sit and cry, here's something positive you can do, something you can eat, something you can buy, a new kind of coat or cosmetic, or you don't have to dissect. Let's do the homework and the work for you. And so that's how PETA was born. And is it true that PETA was the first, I think we weren't even using animal rights a lot as a term then, but the first organization formed for animals that recommended a vegan diet? I'm not sure if that's the case, but I will say if there were others, and I think there may have been a vegan society, there may have been other things, and there certainly were such places in Europe, and there was a feminist, vegan feminist collect- collective, oh, I think, in yes, New York. Yes, yes, and <laughs> I remember some of those women. <laughs> yeah, Connie Salomon. Yes. I wish I knew where she was now. If Connie, if you're listening, please get in touch with us. Wonderful pioneers, uh, fabulous. But they were all very small. And the joy of what happened with Peter, I must say, is that even though our first case that reached the national news, got into the Washington Post front page, was about animals in laboratories, we were able, as soon as we got this surge of interest, to say to people, you asked what you can do. The first thing you can do, please, is don't pay someone to hurt animals and kill them in a slaughterhouse. Please take our recipes, take our tips, take our shopping information, and stop eating animals. Go vegan. So how early in PETA's history did you start um, going out to celebrities and getting help from them? It's funny. It didn't occur to me, but I was sitting at my desk one day and got a call from Hot Lips Houlihan of MASH and Loretta. What was her last name? I can never get it right. Loretta Swift. She called and said, um, I'm against the use of animals in experiments. What can I do to help? Those magic, magic words. And so I put together a script for her for a radio spot. And in fact, once I had done it, I thought, hmm, this is too strident. Let me give her a choice. So I did one that was sort of uh, less strident and sent them both to her and she immediately called back and said I want the stronger one so that was put on the air when that aired I then received a call I'm terribly bad at names I received a call from a man who was on Cheers 
um, the tall guy behind the bar on Jesus. Ted Danson? No, well, not Ted. Oh, the the younger guy. Yes. Woody Harrelson? No, but we have Woody now. We do. Uh, Woody's fabulous, um, not only a vegan, but sort of an ultra-vegan, very wonderful man. Um, But, yes, somebody from Cheers called and said, I want to help too. And, in fact, I had just written a book, and he said, I want the rights to the book to make it into a movie about people liberating animals from all sorts of places, including factory farms. And he took those rights for a while, but unfortunately it was never made into a film. And today somebody else is trying to make it into a film. That's how Hollywood works or doesn't. Yeah, this this is the time for the films. I think uh, we were a little bit early back in the 80s. Yes. So did you always know that PETA was going to be for all animals? Yes, absolutely. Because of the influence of Peter Singer, I opened my own eyes when I read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation. I was stunned. I was already a vegetarian because I had read a book by Ruth Harrison. It was Animal Machines. And I had read it when I was in the UK, and it reduced me to a crumpled heap I had no idea, as most people didn't, and some people still don't, that animals had simply been deprived of everything important and natural to them and stuck in cages, hooked to milking machines, having their babies taken away, and so on. I was floored. And so I'd become a vegetarian, and then someone had come into the shelter where I was working and made fun of me for putting milk in my tea. And he said, um, well, do you eat veal? And I said, of course I don't eat veal. I'm a vegetarian. And they said, well, do you realize that the only reason the veal industry exists is because the calf is taken away from the mother so that that milk meant for him or her can be sold in the supermarket. And if that calf is a boy, guess where that calf goes? Into the veal crate. So if you drink milk, you're supporting the veal industry. So that was that. But then I read the Singer book, which is still the most wonderful book, Animal Liberation. And that made me think about who animals are, that they're not just animals who need to be treated kindly, but they are fellows, that they are just like us in the only ways that are important in that they feel and have interests and thoughts and relationships and they don't want to suffer, and that we are prejudiced towards them. And I saw it then as a continuum of the other discriminations that have happened over history, where we've looked down our noses at others because they were of a different race or from a different nation or because they were women or because they had um, a disability. And I suddenly saw this is the same prejudice. This is just we don't understand, and our lack of understanding is making us discriminate, and I can't stand it. And I thought we have got to form a group. And it was going to be called Justice for Non-Humans, but for some reason that became People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Ah, <laughs> I love it when titles change for the better. That's such a good thing. You know, it's so interesting listening to you, Ingrid, because I think that most people who have heard of you and know of your work just think of you as someone who was prepackaged as a vegan animal advocate and showed up that way on this planet. So to hear that you actually put milk in your tea and that at one time you had had a fur coat, because one of the things that I wrestle with is this whole idea of tolerance. And I understand that people don't all see everything the same way, and there takes a lot of education and exposure to different ideas. And so in that way, of course, we need to be tolerant. But then there's another part of me that just wants to say, wake up. The suffering inherent in, in this food or, or going to SeaWorld or whatever it is, it's so blatant. So what do you do with tolerance versus straight on? 
Well, I think there's a difference in what is what you can tolerate and what you can't. <laughs> I do think we should try our best to be polite. We should try our best to inform, to what we call educate to liberate, is open people's eyes and minds and hearts to what's happening and realize that even some well-intentioned people haven't a clue what's happening to animals. And I know that from my own experience and me is I think the first person who suggested that I spay my cat, I probably gave an awfully hard time to because I thought, why, that's not natural. I had never seen inside a shelter. I didn't know about animal overpopulation and how there are so many animals and no homes for all of them. So I do believe that we should cut people a break while we're nicely informing them. I believe we should be facilitating, and by that I mean if someone is thinking of becoming a vegetarian or vegan, offer to go shopping with them and make it easy so that they can see what they can have, cook for them, or if you're like me and your cooking is atrocious and nobody will eat it, then buy something that's cooked for them and say, try this, or a, a product. There was a woman in our dog park, we have a dog park in, in Norfolk at our office, and I, I always talk to people about about things that I think they may not know. We're talking about having plant milk, soy milk, rice milk, almond milk, oat milk, and she'd never tried it. And I knew chances were when she left the park, she never would. And so I said, hang on a minute while you walk the dog. Let me pop to the store around the corner and get you some. And I did. And I think if you show people, if you provide for people, if you help people, they'll discover that they, they can do these things. They can make these changes. But there comes a time, there is no excuse. No one is oblivious to what happens to animals made into fur. They might not know about dogs being skinned in China for leather, which we've just exposed. We have something on our site. But they do know, everyone knows about animals used and abused and killed for fur. So if someone is wearing a fur coat, I'm still nice, but I make sure to go up and say, didn't you see what was on television the other night? Surely you know, because I want them to know that no one thinks they look lovely in that outrageous, horrid coat. So if, you, if someone says, oh, it's terribly hard to be vegan, I think we shouldn't say, oh, I know, because it isn't. <laughs> we should say, no, it really isn't. Here, what's the hang-up? Let me help you. What do you need? What are, what are you stuck on? How, how can I make it easier for you? Just do it. Let's do it. Well, and let's so do. And let's go to all your wonderful PETA websites for all, <laughs> all sorts of help. We need to stop for a quick break, but everybody stay with us. I know you will. This is too good to miss. And we'll be back with more with Ingrid Newkirk. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. My mind and body are in an ongoing conversation. My body responds to my thoughts and my mind continually receives messages from my body, especially when something is out of order. However, I am more than mind and body. I am created in the image and likeness of God. I am first and foremost spirit. As I bring my spiritual awareness into the conversation between mind and body, I keep myself in balance. I know my body and its needs. I nurture it with food and water, rest and exercise. I also send an affirmation of life and renewal to every cell of my being. With spirit-centered thoughts, words, and actions, I claim my true identity as a whole and healthy expression of God, mind, body, and spirit. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, Go to www.dailyword.com.
Ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, my gosh, this birthday show may be the most rapid one in our history of going on four years. I'm having such a wonderful time talking with Ingrid Newkirk of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. You guys do so much amazing work. I always love it at the end of the year when the wrap-up comes out and and one gets to see case after case, victory after victory. There's not a year that goes by that you all do not make huge differences in the lives of animals. So some of the things I know that you're working on now, there's the ongoing SeaWorld situation. Let's go there for a moment. Oh, Victoria, you know the SeaWorld has hired a new CEO since Blackfish pretty much gutted them when people saw how they have uh, taken these wonderful marine mammals and confined them to tiny cement boxes. Uh, The new CEO is spending what looks like millions putting ads out saying, oh, come to SeaWorld, the animals are happy. And, of course, our job is to show, no, they're far from happy, they have nothing natural, and they are wearing down their teeth, biting through the underwater bars. They have scrapes uh, where they bash against the sides that their dorsal fins are crumpled and turned over, and when they put them together, um, they fight because they're in such close confinement, they've gone nuts. And so we are doing all we can. We have a new ad. It's kind of edgy. It's on our website now, which parodies SeaWorld's um, ad blitz. So I just urge everyone, please tell everyone you know that when they travel, don't go to these what we call animal abusement parks like SeaWorld. We are fighting very hard to get those animals out and have these atrocities closed down. Absolutely. Now, I was asking you during the break about something that some people wrote to me on Facebook. PETA is not a no-kill shelter when it comes to companion animals. So euthanization does go on. It bothers a lot of people. Tell us about that. I would be happy to tell you about that. It's a very unhappy sort of subject because the words no-kill, I mean, who wants to kill? But we don't run a no-kill shelter, and I think no-kill shelters can be fine if they take good care of the animals, provide veterinary care, don't stick them like a hoarder in a crate um, in a basement somewhere and think they that's a life. It's not. But we run one shelter in Norfolk, Virginia, and it's an open admission shelter. In fact, we call it the shelter of last resort because what happens is that, and you can see this on our website, there's actually a little video that shows what our field workers do. We accept almost exclusively those dogs and cats and even a rabbit or two and some other animals that no other shelter will take in. And that's because with this pressure to be no-kill, most shelters, especially in our area but all over the place, are turning their backs, closing their doors on animals who are badly injured, who are badly, uh, who are very sick, who are elderly, who belong to people who are perhaps on a fixed income or don't have a job, and they know the time has come to euthanize that uh, animal who is a part of their lives, their family, but they don't have the money. It's very expensive to go to the veterinarian for euthanasia, and they come to us because they're at their wit's end, and most of them have waited too long. 
Most no-kill shelters will not take those animals in because it ruins their statistics and because that's not what they're geared to do. I mean, more power to anybody who finds homes for any animal. But what we do, and this is why our statistics show a high euthanasia rate, is that we say, oh, please go to that shelter if you have a fluffy, cute, housebroken, purebred, any kind of adoptable animal. So most of the animals, 90-some percent of the animals we take in are not adoptable. They may be aggressive. They may have been on a chain for their entire life and be unsocialized and elderly. But in all probability, they have uh, wounds and injuries and, and age. That means a merciful release is what they need. And we will not say no. We open our doors to them. So I want everybody to know that there is an overpopulation problem. You certainly can't find homes no matter how hard you try and uh, wherever you ship them to for all the animals who are homeless because people aren't required to be responsible. And in our neck of the woods, we deal with poverty pockets. We are in lower Virginia and upper North Carolina where it is par for the course to take a puppy who's been born under a trailer and put them on a chain and a dirt patch for life. Their ears will be eaten by flies in summer and they'll go without water. In winter, we're out there delivering dog houses and straw and breaking the ice on the water to keep these animals alive. Uh, we also do one thing which nobody mentions who says, oh, you're no kill, you're not no kill is we work at the roots. We have three state-of-the-art, large, mobile veterinary clinics, and we go out into all these impoverished areas around us, and we have, we spay about, maybe more, maybe less, about 10,000 animals for no cost or low cost every year and provide free veterinary care taking off amputating limbs, taking off, taking out an eye that is too infected to save, helping people keep their animals and helping those animals never reproduce to add to the overpopulation problem. So I say, please, it's fine to imagine all the animals in the world can find a home. They can't, and many of them shouldn't. They just need to go to sleep forever. And you can see the condition they're in if you look at the little video on PETA.org. Well, thank you so much for addressing that. Oh, I want to talk about so many things, Ingrid. I want, before we leave, to get in the 35th anniversary party with Paul McCartney coming up in L.A. So we'll get to that. But before that, let's just touch on humane meat and whole foods. Well, Victoria, thank you for mentioning that because uh, it's a touchy subject. And you were talking about tolerance earlier on. And I really do believe that people who go to Whole Foods and who see their, what I would call, cockamamie standards, saying, oh, the step this, the step that, um, they've taken down, uh, once we filed a com- formal complaint with the government, they've taken down the happy animal signs. Um, but people think, oh, it looks as if these animals are well cared for, uh, they don't even think often of how they're slaughtered, um, that they're coming from a farm where they must lounge around on straw or go out into fields and be happy and frolicking. And so people who want to be kind to animals are thinking, oh, that's all right then. This is humane meat. And the fact is, it's not. It's slightly less cruel meat but it's certainly still cruel because if you see how animals are trucked, often the very first journey they've ever taken in their lives in all weather and they are bouncing in this vehicle, which is frightening to them, down the highway, they end up at a slaughterhouse, an abattoir, where they can smell, they can hear what's going on in front of them. They have to be prodded and sometimes they're kicked and dragged out of the metal slatted truck and then they're hung up conscious by one leg or if they're chickens by two legs and so on. Humane meat doesn't spare animals any of that stuff. 
And so it's a misnomer. It's misleading. And I believe Whole Foods has sold out because it, when, at a time when people are thinking, oh, maybe I could be a vegan, I'll try those uh, soy nuggets or that fake and bacon or that, that oat milk or all the things that are available now, Kite Hill cheese, tree line cheese, everything vegan, even caveat and faux gras, you can get it all. And yet they go into Whole Foods and they are seduced by this clever advertising that lures them into, oh, well, this meat or this dairy product could be humane. And it's not, it's not, it's just slightly less cruel, and cruel it is. Beautifully put. Oh, now let's have a party. Let's go to L.A. and (laughs) celebrate 35 years of PETA. Tell us quickly about that. Oh, just very excited, except I wish we'd won animal rights in 35 years. As you say, I mean, there isn't a week that goes by that we don't have some victory for animals. Maybe it's getting a, a bank to stop using sticky glue traps, which cause mice and rats to die so badly. Or maybe it's getting Ben and Jerry's, which is happening, to start developing a vegan ice cream line. Or it could be stopping some experiments as we just have done or modifying some others to have fewer animals. So we're celebrating the 35 years of victories in September in Hollywood at a gala. It's We call it the Party for the Animals with Paul McCartney. And it will be um, at a, a venue in Los Angeles. Uh, we'll uh, give our, our, our members a little look at who has helped us and what we have accomplished. But really, um, parties are parties, but every day we need to do more in every way we can think of doing so that we can have more victories because the animals are in such desperate plight in so many different ways, and there are tons of things that every one of us can do every single day. Amen to that. Ingrid Newkirk, my goodness gracious, I admire you enormously. Thank you for all that you do. Thanks for all that you inspire the rest of us to do. And I look forward to seeing you at the party. Oh, thank you, Victoria, for all you do. (laughs) See you there. Absolutely. And everybody else, God bless you. Eat your veggies and save some animals. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Catuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. Within you is a divine spark. As you feed your mind, body, and spirit with inspiration, the spark becomes a flame. 
Unity Online Radio provides the fuel to ignite your passion, creativity, and more during our special Ignite Your Life series. Tune into the series at unityonlineradio.org slash ignite. Connect with your source and ignite your life. That's unityonlineradio.org slash ignite. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs> 